Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community, and communities create social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So this next interview is with Kay Warren. She is the author of a book called Choose Joy, subtitled Because Happiness Isn't Enough. And that's going to become really important to you as you uh, get deeper into the interview uh, and the podcast with Kay. And she starts to, to, to let you in on some of her story and some of her family's story. So remember that title, Choose Joy, uh, and the subtitle is Because Happiness Isn't Enough. We talk about mental health illness, sorry, mental health issues, but we talk about mental illness in particular as being the silent killer. And I think that's a really interesting and important insight. And, 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 and then because Kay is also not just an author and a speaker and so on, she's also the co-founder of Saddleback Church in uh, California, one of the biggest churches, uh, I believe in the US, if not in the world. Um, and she talks a lot about how faith-based communities and the church in particular has responded to, um, personhood, I guess is the way to say it. So, so in other words, so, so Kay is talking about how the church has responded to mental illness. How has it responded to people who are in need? And this whole idea uh, behind, I think, our podcast here is, again, once again, it's about going beyond scratching the surface. So listen in. It's, a, it's an enjoyable interview. Kay is a brilliant woman. She's got a great sense of humor, clearly. And I think you're going to really enjoy this interview, but also take away some pretty important insights about, uh, about you know, how to be how to be a better human being. Sorry if that sounded a little too corny, but really, that's what this is all about. Well, I just can't believe the guests that we've been able to uh, uh, get to today uh, for today's show. And we are now joined by uh, author, speaker, uh, Kay Warren. Uh, she's joining us, I'm assuming, from California. Kay, thanks so much for uh, being available for today. Oh, I appreciate the invitation. So, Kay Warren, uh, you're the co-founder of Saddleback Church. That's like just a really small little church somewhere in California, I understand. And um, also the author of Choose Joy 
and a book called Say Yes to God. She's, uh, we're going to be talking about, about mental health and, and a few other issues, I'm sure, on today's show. But I uh, also wanted to just give a real quick shout out for a conference that we're going to talk a little bit more about probably in the interview, The Gathering on Mental Health and the Church, happening uh, at Saddleback Church, October 7th to 9th. Kay, do you want to tell us about the website before we roll? Yes, it's um, Hope for Mental Health, and it's with the number four. So Hope and then the number four, mentalhealth.com. That's where they can register and find out all the information about the conference. So you've been, you know, you've been working on the behalf on behalf of others for years. You've been an HIV uh, AIDS advocate. Uh, you've worked with orphan and, and vulnerable children. Um, you've been clearly working on behalf of the Global South for years. People at risk, let's say. Um, you've written a book called Choose Joy. I mean, why now uh, are you focusing on? Uh, the uh, mental health and the church and so on? Or is it just been a f- continuous thread for you throughout your work? No, that's a really good question. Uh, my life was pretty settled um, until 2013. I, I was, I'd been an advocate, as you said, for people with HIV and AIDS and orphans and vulnerable children and loved the work, loved the ministry that, that God had called me to do and was perfectly content to continue um, being an advocate and an activist for um, for those vulnerable folks for the rest of my life, and then our son mm. um, committed suicide, took his life in April of 2013, and we were instantly uh, thrust onto a path that we would not have chosen for ourselves. And uh, I mean, he'd lived with mental illness for most of his life, mm. and we prayed earnestly and fervently that he would be healed or would be able to manage his illness. And we saw ourselves at some point when he was well enough being advocates for people living with mental illness um, with him by our side. So we, we always knew that someday that, that some of our advocacy would shift toward um, mental illness right. when he was ready to tell his story. But when he died, um, everything changed. Life changed. Ministry changed calling changed, uh, advocacy changed. Uh, there really is a clear before and after for our lives. Well, how, you know, and I think, I think most of us, uh, on some, uh, in one way or another heard about that and, and grieved with you and were concerned for you and, and kind of had questions, I guess, uh, around it. I mean, I think my first question though, Katie, you is, is don't we all suffer from mental health issues of one kind or another? Well, you know, yes, to a to a degree. Yeah. Uh, mental mental health, mental illness happen on a continuum. Hmm. Um, mental health basically means that you can function in your job and in your relationships and and in your career and and you're resilient to stress and you can roll with the punches when you know you get when the carpet gets pulled out from underneath right. you. That's right. that's sort of what the layman's definition of of mental health. And mental illness um, comes into the picture when those things stop happening. Right. When you can't function well in relationships and in your career and in your hobby and your, your, your relationships deteriorate and you can't roll with the punches and stress and pressure overwhelm you and anxiety and depression. And, um, you know, when those things become, well, you can't get, when you can't cope. Right, you know, and you right. can't cope for a long period of time. Yeah. That's when we start talking about mental illness. So, you know, if you were to lose your job tomorrow, you'd likely feel some depression and anxiety. That's really normal. That's right. normal Good. Yep. emotional response sure. to life's sadnesses or, or hardnesses or grief. But when 
you know, six months later, you find that you're incapacitated by the by the anxiety or the depression over losing your job or fearful that you'll never, then you start, you know, then we start wondering, okay, has it moved out of that continuum of what's a normal range, if you would, of, of normal feelings to, well, this is now, I can't, I can't function. I can't live my life anymore because uh, of the struggle or with schizophrenia of, you know, losing touch with reality. So, um, so the answer to your question is, well, yeah, sort of. We all yeah, have, sure. we all experience um, painful and negative emotions, but sometimes they get the best of us, and that's when it can move into mental illness. So I'm, I'm fascinated about, based on this question, how you responded to, to that. You've written a book called Choose Joy. Um, you know your son's suicide. I mean, how, I guess, how do you cope? How do you not mm-hmm. just be consumed by anger and despair? And then how do you, like, why would you even think of choosing joy, Kay? Do, yeah. do, do, do you know That's what I mean? Question. Like, like I, I'm, a, I, I, I'm divorced. And when, when I went through that and went through the pain of it, and it was a five, six-year process, I, I mean, maybe it's just me and my melancholic edge, but I don't think choosing joy was top of my list. Mm. Well, I wrote Choose Joy uh, two years before Matthew died, mm. and I'm glad I wrote it when I did because I feel like I wrote it out of out of an, aware, an increasing awareness that my son was ill. Mm-hmm. I am a melancholy, as you mentioned. I tend to, I, I live with low levels of depression, and I, I saw this um, impending doom, if you will, coming at us as his illness just escalated, and. And I would read the Bible and read stories of joy and read all the injunctions from Paul and Peter and Jesus and David, everybody else saying, you know, that joy was possible, that, it, that there was fullness of joy at, at his right hand. And, and I looked at my life, and the two did not measure up. What I was hearing and reading in the Bible and what I was looking at in my life and the lives of people around me, and I did not see um, joy. And I got scared because hmm. I, I felt like that, my own spiritual resources weren't going to be enough if and when our son made good on all of his threats to end his life. And um, so I wrote Choose Joy almost self-defensively. It's like, mm. I got to figure this out because mm-hmm. I, I, I see, I see something bad coming up and I don't know how to, I don't know how I'm going to deal with it. I don't even know how to deal with daily life. And uh, so Searching the scripture, searching, reading, meditating, praying, saying, God, I, what am I missing? Because I don't understand joy. And coming to the conclusion that I had completely misunderstood joy, had been taught all the wrong things about it, that it had n- truly nothing to do with what was happening externally, what was, gonna, what was already happening, what could happen, but it had everything to do with what and how I saw God, what I knew about right, God, right. how I understood him, how I understood his workings in my life. And so for me, it was learning how to connect the internal, what's going on in the inside of me, to the eternal, which is God who is unchangeable and unshakable, so that the externals somehow began to make sense. And when I kind of looked at it through that lens, joy was possible and joy was attainable and joy was within my reach. And I'm so grateful because when the bottom fell out and Matthew did take his life, um, I was wearing a necklace that day that said, choose joy. Wow. 
Yeah, and after I'd, after I'd written the book, because I struggled with joy, I needed something tangible and concrete. And so right. I found this necklace that said choose joy. And so I just I wore it often because I, I constantly needed to remind myself that I could choose it, that, that I could choose it even in the worst of circumstances because God wasn't going to change. And, and his love and his passion for me and his purpose were not going to change. Therefore, I could have the peace and sense of well-being that create joy. So on the day that Matthew died, and we were pretty sure, I was pretty sure that, that he had taken his life. But, you know, without going into all the details, there were some reasons why I needed to wait to call the authorities to, to check. And so as we were waiting out in, in his yard, um, and Rick and I were standing holding holding each other up, and I just kind of looked down and saw that, that I was wearing that necklace mm. that I had picked deliberately that morning. And we both cried, and we both, but there was that moment of, yes, even in the, on the worst day of our lives, even in our greatest nightmare, even though this is the worst day of our lives, God is still with us. God hasn't changed. God hasn't shifted. God hasn't moved. He's got this. He knows us. If Matthew is indeed dead, he's in God's arms, and we are going to somehow survive this crushing um, and devastating loss. Where, Kay, where, so you look down, you see, you see Choose Joy. Where does, I mean, where does the anger fit into this? Does this come later? Does, I mean, I think... I think personally, I my... definitely felt anger. Yeah, how could you not? Uh, exactly, it's part of grieving. Yeah, right. Anger is a part of grieving. We're not comfortable with that, particularly in I think in in Christianity, we've um, we've stopped lamenting. We've stopped. Right, right. You know, just read the Psalms. David rails against right. God. I mean, he beats yeah. his fists against. David was just a big. God. He was a walking disaster area. But I have to say, I do kind of love the guy. I love David. He gives us all permission to express every one of our emotions it's true. to God. And, um, and I think we were in shock. You know, mm-hmm. we were just completely in shock. And then when it was confirmed that, that Matthew had died, then we were just hit with... I, I can't even... T- I can't even... Well, how can you put it into put words, words, really? Yeah, you, I cannot. You can't. I you cannot. can't. And I think sometimes, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I think there's a little bit of a tiny bit of a relational takeaway here. Sometimes in these kinds of situations, you know, dealing with mental health issues, dealing with others, how do we respond? You know, that, you know, uh, what do you say? Well, I think sometimes it's an embrace and, and nothing needs to be said. It, it, is that a fair response, Kate, to this kind of a thing? Yeah, it really is. Because yeah. um, there are words, right? There are no words. And, and the, probably one of the very worst things you can say is, I understand. I understand, because right. believe me, you don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Believe me, you do not. Just as I don't know what it's like to go through a divorce, right? I don't. So I can't ever tell you, oh, I understand. I know how you feel. I can't. But I can tell you I'm sorry for the loss. I'm sorry for the loss of a dream. I'm sorry for the loss of a marriage. In the case of our child, you can just simply, people can just simply say, I'm so sorry for your loss. And that's really all that most people need to say, especially at the beginning. Um, I don't need to hear, you know, I didn't need to hear, uh, oh, God must have wanted him more than you Mm. did. Or 
oh, now he's an angel floating, you know, through heaven, or at least you had him for 27 years. Oh, wow. You've got to be kidding some, me. Are these no, examples? These are examples of things yes. people said? Wow. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. My friend who lost uh, a child um, at the Sandy Hook, uh, in the Sandy Hook um, murders a few years ago, was told just within a few months, at least you can have more children. Oh, you've um, got to be. I mean, sometimes you just when you hear people st- lose. Yes. You just hear that and you go, come on, you're, you're kidding me, right? No. Oh, it's I, horrifying. No. And, no. and people mean well. I, I'm trying right. to be generous. Sure, people of course. People mean yeah. well. Yeah. But we just don't know what to say. And so we become like Job's comforters. You know, they did great when they came and they sat next to Job for seven days, you know, when he'd lost mm-hmm. his family and lost his livelihood and, and his friends came in the bible says they sat next to him for seven days and they didn't say a word and yeah. it's only when they opened their mouths and started talking that that they were you know then they you just want to smash them <laughs> because they said terrible things to this, him yeah then they laid guilt on him then they made him feel like it was his fault and 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 we do that sometimes when people are in grief and silence meaning hugs as you said hugs Acts of kindness and service, bringing meals, um, holding people in their tears, letting them weep, letting them be angry, letting them be shocked, not trying to shush them. Yeah. You know, we try to shush people. Don't say things like that. <laughs> That's right. Let it's, Yeah. Well, and today, I guess you could extend that to, you know, a quick email. How, how are things going? A little text if it's too late at night or to just, call. Or, or just, I'm thinking of I'm you. I'm thinking because, about you. Yeah. Because even absolutely. the how are you. Believe me, that how are you question, boy, that's a trap. Yeah, because it's interesting. we use it as just a social nicety. Hey, yep. how you doing? Yeah, of course. It's just, it's, it's connected with hi. You well, know? it's, it's, it's like, a handshake. Hey, how you doing? It's a handshake, right? It's exactly. A bro- yeah. Yeah. But, if you're, but if you're experiencing, if you're in grief or things are going really rocky in your life, that question becomes a bit of a minefield. Yeah. Because you have to say to yourself, do they really want to know? <laughs> That's right. Are they even asking? Oh. Are they even asking me? Uh, yeah, it's First true. First of all, are they really asking me? And secondly, do they really want to know? And third, is this a person I will really want to tell how yeah. I'm doing? Yeah, here, have a seat. I'll pour you a, a glass of scotch and we can chat for yeah. 30 minutes. How's yeah. that? Yeah. And and instead, it's easiest, yeah. if you, especially if you know somebody's going through a rough time, to just say, man, you've been on my mind. Mm. I'm praying mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. Or I, I haven't stopped thinking about you and your family. You are always in my prayers. And that way you, you're not asking them that hard question of them having to figure out, what are they really asking me when yeah. they're asking me, how are you? you, you you've you opened the door to you're aware of their struggle, of their sorrow. You're with them. You care. And then they have, the, the hurting person has the opportunity, if they want to, and they're up to it, to be able to fill in how they're doing without being in that terrible place because really what you want to say is i want to die yeah i don't think i can ever live i don't think my life will ever be good again that's what you want to say sure but you know most people aren't going to be prepared to hear that they didn't really want to know that and and they're not going to know what to say when you say that anyway. so so okay why i think you've you've uh, really uh, connected to an insight here that i want to pursue this idea that um i mean Mental health issues. Are are we afraid of talking about it? I mean, is it is it that oh, there's huge stigma. Well, and do you think we're afraid too? I wonder sometimes of a of a self diagnosis that maybe yeah. 
right? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. If I don't talk about it, it's not real. It's not real, right? And I and yeah. I think about some folks in, in my life. myself or my loved one. hundred percent. And we got to talk about self-awareness here too. If we're going to talk about mental health, got to have the fingers. So you want to hope at that point, you've got a community of friends and family around you who are hopefully going to say, hey, you know what, David, maybe we need to talk, right? Yeah. Well, there's such stereotypes. Yeah. You know, I think, unfortunately, most of us, think of when we think of mental illness we think of somebody who's you know catatonic in a corner can't speak somebody who's homeless stumbling down the street talking to fire hydrants and lamp poles right or i do that from time to time kate just so you know (laughs) (laughs) i think probably we all do (laughs) at least Um, they listen yeah that's true they don't argue back (laughs) that's right um and, and i think the worst stereotype of all is that it's you know unfortunately it's somebody with a gun Right. who is um, destroying lives. And, and we tend to think, when we think of mental illness, those are kind of the pictures we sure. have in Extre- our minds. Extremes. Yeah, the extremes, the things that happen occasionally but not really all that often. Yeah. And when really mental illness is the person who is lying awake in bed night after night after night for months, unable to sleep because of anxiety mm-hmm. or depression mm-hmm. or this impending sense of doom, or it's the person who um, struggles between shopping way too much, um, buying way too much on the home shopping network, mm-hmm. and loading up their house with stuff that they don't need and they can't even seem to make themselves stop. It's the person who um, is feeling that life really isn't all that good and maybe everybody would be a little better off if they weren't here, right. you know, mental yep. illness is yep. so much more quiet than mm. we think it is. That's a pretty interesting notion. The hidden wound. Do you think, do you think that we're, um, I mean, so, so is this, is this connected to this notion of choosing joy? I mean, this, so we've got a filter of brokenness. We've got a filter of melancholy. We were raised in a certain environment. We were, we were taught to see the world in a particular way. And therefore, you know, my wife, Elizabeth, she's way more positive than I am you know, and, and I do the Murphy's Law thing, and she's smiling and going, well, you know what, it gives us an opportunity to at least do this or something, you know? <laughs> and and yeah. happy, okay, happy people kind of make me crazy, actually, to be honest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I hate them. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, and yet, there's, there's something there. There's, there's, you know, and I think, and, and there's another question for you. How about I just toss six questions at you at once? But there you go. Which one would you like me that's to That's right. Yeah. Um, all of the above, please. Show all, above. all work. Um, <laughs> um, but this genetic thing, you know, nature, nurture, you know, how much of, you know, is it the filter? Is it the lenses that I put on every morning when I get out of bed? Should I have a smi- smiling face painted on my ceiling? Or does it go way deeper than that, right? Well, it's a combination. Uh, I think is probably the safest and truest answer mm-hmm. is, you know, the more researchers um, <clears throat> study mental illness, and there's so much they don't know about sure. mental illness, let's sure. just be honest. But the more they study it, the more they find, you know, genetic factors. They find, you know, w- misfiring in the brain. Things aren't wiring correctly. But then you have to ask, well, why is that happening? You know, right. what's happening in the body that's creating that misfiring and um, so the questions abound when it comes to mental illness. But, um, but the idea that, it, you know, it's, you've had a bad mother is, you know, a lot of that has been thrown out. out. Um, it, there, so it's a common, but, but the environment that you're raised in does influence. 
let me just I'm talk I talk to, you know, somebody fairly regularly who struggles with mental illness and uh she's got a huge anti government bias. I mean like almost in <laughs> conspiracy theory about everything. But when I hear about her background, when she was told constantly growing up you cannot trust the government. You right. can't trust the government. Right. Well if you're raised yep. with that's the message and you can't trust the government and maybe you already have a little predisposition to a little bit of paranoia anyway, you put those two together and it's a pretty powerful toxic, you know, sure. mix that can create some problems for people. So there's definitely genetic predispositions, things go on in our, in our bodies and our brains that researchers are trying to figure out. But we're also spiritual beings. We're, we're whole beings. We're a body, mind, and soul. And stuff can go wrong on every level. Mm-hmm. Stuff can go wrong in our bodies. Stuff can go wrong in our minds. Stuff can go wrong spiritually. And so when I try to look at even how do you help people who are living with that, mental yeah, illness. Yeah, ex- exactly, because you're sort of caught in this circle of despair, right? Yeah, well, yeah, you can kind of throw up your hands and say there's there's nothing, there's yep. absolutely nothing that I know to do. Well, I, I always try to encourage people to go at it from every single angle. Hmm. So get a physical, you know, right. if you're worried about yourself, or get a physical, because there could be some underlying conditions that could be cleared up if you sure, just sure. you know had yep. the right medical treatment yeah um, Chem- chemical imbalance perhaps absolutely yep. get it get a physical yep. um if if it if that's kind of doing okay make sure that you're that you're eating well we eat so poorly eat eat well you know eat healthy food because food is medicine eat healthy food get rest exercise that's stuff that's within the control of of all of us of how much we eat how much we rest we can control that so you know, work at it physically. Work at it if you need to. See a psychiatrist or psychologist. Get a diagnosis if there's something. Spiritually, is is what's your what's your spiritual life like? You know, how are you how are you in in your relationship with God? Emotionally, what are you doing that that nurtures your soul? What is it that pours life back into you? What's going on in your relationships? Are there some things that have been ruptured that need to be repaired? So it's 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 looking at it from every angle because there is no there is no pill that's going to fix it all. Mm-hmm. There's no one therapy. There's no one approach. It's as I said, when things go wrong in the various areas of our life, and that can affect our whole life. Conversely, when things start to go right in an area of our lives, it it filters over, spreads over, and infiltrates all and 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 increases health. So. We're whole beings. We yeah, have to look at this as whole beings. Very, there's a there's an interdependent like nature to all of these things, isn't there? Completely. Yeah, yeah. Completely. So We're, the parts of us are not isolated. It's it's all works together. Okay, I'm interested in your gathering, the gathering on mental health in the church, October seven to nine. A uh, little bit of a, a push here for this event. One hundred nine dollars, by the way, for early registration. Ah, which sadly ended which yesterday. Ended thirty <laughs> first. But hey, yeah. give Kay a call, yeah. and I'm sure it's she can get something uh, <laughs> sorted out for you. There are a limited <laughs> amount of scholarships available. There are, you know, yeah. it really is a. Diff- there are some limited I'm sure, scholarships I'm, available. I'm but, sure there are. Um, what? What? Why? Okay, so why not Kay? Just a gathering on mental health. Why a gathering on mental health and the church? Because the church has something significant to say, and the church has a significant role to play. And that's because that goes back to what I was saying about we're whole beings. Um, medical science and, and medication cannot wholly deal with mental health. There's, and neither can the government. I mean, it, it takes every part of us working together. So the church 
can talk about the person. Right. When we think of mental illness, we think of it as an illness. Okay, it is. And so therefore we think, oh, okay, so it must be something that physicians take care of. And there's a place for that. But at the bottom line, we're persons who get sick. So the church can deal with the personhood, mm. deal with who we are on the, in, at the soul level. What, is, what do I need as a person? Well, I need to be loved. I need to be embraced. I need to be accepted. I need to know I belong. I need to know that my life has meaning. I need to know that there's purpose in my pain. I need to know that there's a contribution I can make back into this world, all of which the church and the faith community can speak into. And so the, the church and the faith community, I mean, this, isn't a, this, isn't a, 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 this is nothing that just churches can do. This is what, um, you know, Muslims, Jews, mm-hmm. everybody in the faith Absolutely. community, this is a human issue. And the faith community provides layers of protection to people when they're connected strongly there. And, um, and so to step into that space and say, hey, we're not going to look at mental illness as a stigmatizing thing. Or, no, go away. You go over there. It doesn't have anything to do with us. Or if you just pray about it, you're going to be better. No, come in here. Here you're going to be welcomed and embraced, cared for. Um, you'll learn about meaning for your pain and your struggle. And um, so there's stuff that every church, every faith community can do that nobody else can do. I think that's the most important thing to realize is the church can't dispense medication. So we will never be able to take care of that. Um, but the church can dispense care for the for the person for the soul and and so to to ad- address mental illness from that place um, is a space that nobody else is talking about and it's it's the it's the place we are the best well you would with you'd, you'd like yeah you'd like to think that churches or faith based communities would be the places that you would be able to deal with mental health issues first and foremost alongside of the medical community as well it's not an either or thing right got to be both yeah let me read this off the website um Quote, it's difficult to imagine that 50% of adults will develop depression, anxiety, self-harm, eating disorders, bipolar disorders, PTSD, borderline personality disorders, schizophrenia, or some other mental illness in their lifetime. This staggering reality can feel daunting, but there is hope for mental health. Hope says that you are not defined by your illness. Hope says that your life has a purpose even when you don't feel it. Hope says you're not alone. That's on your website. Um, mm-hmm. It's what the conference clearly is. I mean, that's your theme, I would imagine, for, for the event. And clearly you're, you're, I mean, aren't you talking about a deeper sense of um, relationship here, Kay? Is that is that a fair question? Um, I sometimes think that the psychiatric community, that the mental uh, health uh, medical community would be, uh, there wouldn't be as many positions if people had better friends. Hmm. You know? I I love that you say that because I, I think that 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 is a key uh, that's a key truth. You know, and, and I could spend twenty minutes just on that. Sorry, what were you going to say? <laughs> no, I was just going to say. Well, that'll be part two of the interview. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, yeah. I would so love to talk to you about just that alone, and we could, you know, this idea that I mean, how many of us are are living? You know, what did Thoreau say? He said, we're living, most men and women are living lives of quiet desperation. Quiet desperation. Why is that? I think it's because 
we've lost out somewhere along the way on our relational connections, whether it's our parents, our partners, our, mm-hmm. our, our children, our friends. And we don't get that, you know, dare I say, as the Greeks might say, perichoresis, that, mm-hmm. that, you know, that perichoretic edge, that, uh, um, relational edge that says, Hey, yeah. you know what? You're loved, you're embraced, you're included. Yeah, well, the, my 30-second take on that is um, John fifteen fifteen, where Jesus had the opportunity to define his relationship to us. And in John fifteen fifteen, he says, I call you friends. Right, and very nice. I love that. Yeah. And so if the church is supposed to be his representation in the world, then that is at the core of our message to each other and to those standing outside that circle, which would be, I have called you friend. But we have made friendship a very shallow uh, thing, if you will. It's about whether you're likable, whether you share the same common interests I do, and that's wonderful, except for it doesn't go very deep, and it's not going to be solid enough when the bottom falls out or when you stop being likable or when we have different interests. It, it's more about the kind of radical friendship. I love John Swinton's written a book called um, Resurrecting the Person. Mm, um, and, great and it's on. Title. You've got to read it. You have to read that book. Okay. It's my I'll put favorite it, book right now. It sounds a little like Jean Vanier. It, it is, but it's, it's about friendship and mental illness oh, and how, okay. how the church and friendship and mental illness all go together and, and our beautiful task and our beautiful calling to resurrect persons who have been beaten down by stigma, by illness, by um, prejudice, and by, by their own illness. And we have the, as I said, the beautiful task of resurrecting persons um, into wholeness and into meaning and into love. Kay, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, Kay Warren is co-founder of Saddleback Church. She's an international speaker, best-selling author. She's written Choose Joy and Say Yes to God, two books that you should put on your uh, bookshelf, and apparently also Resurrecting the Person. <laughs> thanks for yeah. that push. And don't forget about the conference coming up October 7th to 9th. Why don't you just wrap it up into a bit of a nutshell there for us uh, conference-wise, Kay, and then we'll, 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 uh, we'll close the interview well off. this this conference is is practical it's it's uh it draws from um all the different uh folks who are involved in mental health care from the government to the medical community to mental health professionals to people living with mental illness and their families um, anybody who comes is going to walk away better equipped pastors who are already dealing with people living with mental illness every single day but aren't trained in seminary are going to walk away with knowing what, um, how to handle it, what they can do. Family members are going to be encouraged. Mental health professionals are going to see how to integrate their practice and their faith. It's, it's, there's a little bit of something for everybody um, who would be interested in coming, and uh, we can't wait. It's, sign up now. Sounds great. Uh, Kate, I, I talk about scratching the surface, but thank you so much for joining us today. A lot of insights, a lot of great advice, and uh, trust that you're, you're turning them away at the door at the conference <laughs> in October. Thank and, you so much, David. And, and I'll look forward to part two. Thanks, Kate. All right. Thank you. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.